Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, my guest in this episode is uh, arguably uh, WA's best tennis export, uh, Casey Delacqua. Now calls uh, Sydney home, but uh, we are going to claim her as one of our very own here in WA. She rose uh, to number 26, a career high in the singles rankings uh, in the top five consistently for doubles, uh, in fact won a Grand Slam in the mixed doubles at the French Open and seven times a Grand Slam finalist uh, in the doubles uh, category as well. And so many other career highlights uh, that I'm looking forward to uh, picking through with our guest in this episode, Casey Delacqua. Welcome to Inspiring Stories. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, just to touch on the WA, I am a true West Australian, will always um, feel the um, yeah, associate myself as a good West Aussie. So you're just on a long holiday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Can't take the West Aussie out of me at all. Absolutely. No. Uh, and you are from Woodvale. Let's break it down. Let's go right back to the start. I wasn't going to do it necessarily in chronological order, but now that you've just uh, pointed to your Perth heritage, Casey, let's start with your early days. Woodvale Primary School was where yeah. you uh, started strutting your stuff. Here in yeah. Perth, what yep. are some of your early memories of growing up in in Woodvale? Well, I have a, I have wonderful memories. I, I had a great childhood. Went to Woodvale Primary School. Went to Woodvale Senior High. Played at the local tennis club there, Kingsley Tennis Club, which was yep. actually opposite Woodvale Senior High School. There, um, all my family lived either in Kingsley or Woodvale or surrounding suburbs, and. Yeah, I have a wonderful childhood. I remember walking to school with my friends. I remember playing all of my local sport in that community. And, um, yeah, always going down to the beach with Dad, going yep. camping all around West Austra Western Australia. So a really um, wonderful childhood growing up in little mm. old Woodvale. Were you from a tennis family? Uh, is everyone in the family pretty handy with a racket? Everyone was a um, member of Kingsley Tennis Club, so including yep. my grandparents, my nan and pop, and my aunties, and then my mum. My mum was a fairly good little player too, and my sister. So yes, from a social perspective, we all love tennis as a sport. My dad played um, pretty high-level waffle, played a 14 games for the West Perth Footy Club. Yeah. So had um, was always spending a lot of time on the weekend down at the footy club as well. So had um, sport was just always part of mm. my life growing up. My brother also I'm close with him 18 months apart, so we played a lot of sport growing up. So all I ever wanted to do and all I ever knew was sport, and I was, that's all I wanted to do when I grew up was be an athlete. 
often great rivalries among siblings in yeah. <laughs> sports mad families. And your brother, you mentioned, are pretty close to you in age. How did he take it when you started kicking his butt on the tennis court? <laughs> Well, I'm sure he's going to listen into this. So I'm definitely going to be um, claimed to be the winner in pretty much everything we did. His name's Ben. <laughs> His name's Ben. And yeah, we were very close. I, I give him a lot of credit in terms of my competitiveness because it didn't matter if it was cricket, even the Nintendo, um, just like most siblings, yeah, we had a... Yeah, yeah, but he thinks he was always better than me at table tennis, but he had a really um, defensive, like terrible game so he used to frustrate me but I was still a better player I'm sure you were sorry Ben (laughs) (laughs) Casey do you remember the first time you actually picked up a racket or was you you just too young to remember no I was about seven years of age and I was down almost late isn't it yeah I played a lot of different sports growing up I played netball t-ball did all the kind of generic sports growing up but tennis, I was always drawn to it because I had my tennis friends down at the local club were a bit different to the, the friends that I hung out with at school. And yeah, my nan and like I said, all my family hung out down at the local tennis club. So I remember ha- picking up a racket and I remember doing a lot of squad based kind of training, team yep. training. And I just, I loved the sport from day dot. So yeah, I kind of have vague memories, but mm. I remember always being very passionate and wanting. It was the one sport that I asked my parents to put me into and wanting to keep going back and play. And in terms of your heroes as a kid, when you thought, gee, they, you know, they're, they're my favourite player, I'd love to play on the circuit and emulate some of the things that they do. Who are your favourite players as a kid? Well, this is, an, I, this is a really interesting question because people ask me this a lot. And the funny thing is, is I love tennis as a player, but mm. I didn't really watch a lot yeah, of right. tennis. I watched a lot of AFL and my family were all West Coast Eagles supporters. But you know how there's always that one kid in the family that tries to annoy their family and go for another team? <laughs> yeah. Well, that was me. So I went, I started um, going for Carlton when they won Carlton. the premiership. Yes, I know. Why Back Carlton? In, well, they won the premiership in 1995 and I kind of jumped on the bandwagon with my cousin. And we, um, we just kind of, yeah, I was once I was Carlton, I was always Carlton. It used to annoy I my bet. entire family, yeah. I, I bet you've been a bit quieter lately, though. Yeah, I have actually. <laughs> <laughs> but I, so I always used to look up to Anthony Kudafidis, yep. um, Steve Silvani. I had number one on my long sleeve Carlton jersey for years. Um, and yeah, I was just a really passionate Carlton fan for years. And so I used to love just watching footy. And it's funny, now that there's all this women's AFL and that, it was, I was, it's interesting having a daughter now because she, she looks up to a lot of female athletes, but I guess back in the day, you just, we only had male athletes to yep. look up to. But so, yeah. And then when I played, started to play more tennis and get into the sport, I had probably, I looked up to more people close to my age, like Alicia Mollick, Renee Stubbs, yep. Sam Stozer. Some, they were the kind of girls that I wanted to be a part of. I wanted to be a part of that group. Um, so yeah, that was kind of my, um, yeah, who I looked up to, which is a bit random. Yeah. When I asked you who your favorite tennis players were growing up, I didn't expect you to say <laughs> Stephen Sylvania and Anthony Kudafidis, but <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Through your high school, um, how did you balance? Obviously you started to show tremendous promise, uh, the more you played, um, so much so, and we, we haven't quite got there yet, but you know, moving to the AIS at the age of 16, but through your high schooling years, how did you juggle your, uh, your academics and your, and your, your sporting pursuits? Yeah. So I, I was always, um, you know, I loved going to school and I always did fairly well at school, but in the back of my mind, all I ever wanted to do was finish school so I could go and play my sport. Mm. So I always had great teachers that helped me and I finished year 11 at Woodvale Senior High 
And then um, I did get asked to go to the Australian Institute of Sport and it was a big deal for me and my parents at the time. I was, you know, did all my junior development in Western Australia, was part of the squads, had a great state coach, Milo Bradley at the time out at the State Tennis Centre there. And it was a big decision for my parents to kind of almost let me go in a way as well. And um, I was thrown into this world that, I don't know, when you're a West Australian and you kind of feel like you're quite protected over there. And then I was thrown into this big, bad world. So I left after year 11 and then, yeah, from that moment on, I was just, I never finished year 12 actually. I just became pro. I played my first Australian High school Open. dropout. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Thank goodness I actually did okay in tennis because I didn't have much behind me, but I kind of threw all my eggs in one basket and I, from that, yeah, played my first Australian Open when I was 17 and then yep. never looked back. What would you have done though? You must have thought, God, if I wake up one day and, you know, for whatever reason, I pick up a tennis racket and I, I can't do this anymore. What, what would you have done? What was your plan B? I didn't have a plan B. And that's actually quite daunting now to think about that because mm. I didn't ever think I've really got to put effort into finishing year 12 because maybe I might get injured. or may-. And that's now where I feel like we've made a lot of gains in tennis. I'm just specifically in terms of making sure our athletes finish their school, making sure that they have a backup plan because yeah, I, I'm one of the lucky ones that, were, you know, was able to really make a great living from tennis. But had I not, um, I mean, I would have eventually probably found something to do. But, mm. yeah, I just, I guess I was so driven. I, all I wanted to do was be a tennis player and that was my goal. And it took me a number of years to find my feet on tour. But once I did, I was, um, yeah, off and rolling. And landing in Canberra as a 16-year-old, being pulled away from that supported environment that you had, uh, in Woodvale and, and surrounding suburbs, going from that to Canberra, being all on your own, all these new people around you, new training regime, no more school. How did you cope with all of that? Yeah, not very well, to be honest, in the, the first couple of years. Um, it was tough because I got put with a family to live with in mm-hmm. Melbourne. Um, and I I think I really battled through a couple of years of just finding, you know, especially as a female athlete, you're always trying to find your way. And then I was kind of thrown into this whole new world. And I was really, I am really close with my family, my extended family. I had a great group of friends in Perth too. So yeah, I really struggled. And I think I had a lot of doubts. Did I want to do this? Did I keep wanting to pursue um, tennis? How difficult it was. So I think there was a lot of doubt and a lot of um, my parents probably a bit concerned too, because I'd always traveled with them. They'd come to tournaments with me. So, yeah, it was it was definitely a difficult few years there for a while. Mm. But worth it, though? Now, on reflection, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Had I not done that, I think at some point being in WA was okay, but at some point I had to make yeah. that jump for more opportunities. I was, giving, I was given financial support, which my parents needed because, um, you know, my parents, we, my dad had a – automotive mechanic workshop to work his butt off so that I could have every opportunity. But when you were given support through Tennis Australia and through the Institute, I had to take those opportunities. So yes, looking back, it was a, a really yeah. good decision, but uh, it was definitely a difficult one at the time. Yeah. And hopefully set you up for uh, a career, um, you know, traveling all over Australia, all over the world um, with your racket in hand trying to do your thing. So we'll get into that right after we take a break. Casey Delacqua is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. 
Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tennis champ Casey Delacqua is our special guest. Uh, Casey, you've talked us up to um, your teenage years, around about uh, 16, 17. You've moved to Canberra, although sort of living in Melbourne and working with the AIS. At 17, you become a pro tennis player and hit the international circuit. That, I mean, that's, a, that's a lot on the shoulders of anyone, let alone a 17-year-old. After the move from Canberra, how did you deal with that next step? It was really tough. I, I really battled through these years. And when I speak to a lot of the young females now, I kind of encourage them to even look at different options like the college, collegiate system in America and that kind of pathway. Because when I look back on my career, I from about 17 till I was about 20 years of age, I had no money. I was playing, um, you know, at the ITF level. So I was getting support through Tennis Australia and the Australian Institute of Sport at the time. But at the same, in the same breath, I was paying for all my own flights, my own accommodation. Um, there would be times where there would be three or four of us in one hotel room rotating who gets an opportunity to sleep in the bed. Otherwise, you're on the floor because who had the match the next day because just to save a bit of money. Mm. And then... We would, I would often pack my bags for about eight months of the year because you couldn't afford to fly back and forth from Europe to Australia. It was just too much, too expensive. So those few years, I played a lot on the ITF circuit, just mm-hmm. trying to make it, trying to get as many matches as I could, trying to get as much international exposure as I could. Cause I was a, like looking back, I was just a, you know, a timid little girl from WA that was not really ready for that kind of world. And then, um... And then all of a sudden I started to kind of find my feet a little bit. I matured as we all do through those years. And then um, I had that breakthrough obviously in 2008 at the Australian Open uh, when I can't remember exactly how old I must have been then, but about 2021. 20, and then I started to get closer to top 100 and then things. But those few years from about 17 to 20 till mm. I was about 20 were really tough. When you first you know, got on the plane to head overseas and start this next phase of your life, did it feel like a a great adventure or did you feel a huge amount of pressure and, and venturing into the unknown? Was that a daunting thing for you? How, how was your mindset at the time? Yeah, I think part of me felt like it was a great adventure. Definitely. Mm. Um, I was still part of the generation where you would take a phone card and you'd have to dial about 600 numbers to get yeah. home. Or, to... just, and, or just reverse charge it back to mum yeah, and dad. Yeah, exactly. So, and then they could call the hotel and connect me through the room. So I was still part of a bit of that generation yeah. where you didn't have much contact with your family, which I was used to speaking to my mum pretty much and dad every day. So yeah, it, it seemed like a big adventure and I was on this journey of that just seemed incredible for a girl from WA to be on the international tennis circuit. But in the same breath, I was very scared. It was difficult. I wanted, I didn't have like the close friends that I have now on tour, Mm. but I still had a lot of the Aussie girls on tour that I could look up to and they were always there for me. And that's what I've tried to do, obviously, for our next generation of young players, because it is, it's a real challenge as an Australian to be on tour nine months away at a time, um, traveling the entire world. Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, your breakthrough, if you like, came at that uh, Australian Open. Um, fourth round, I think you made yeah. that year, didn't you? And beat yeah. uh, Emily Moresmo uh, yep. along the way, um, which is obviously no main feat, particularly at that uh, stage of, of her career. Um, how important was that, looking back on the trajectory of, uh, of your career then? How important was that tournament for you? 
Yeah, that was the turning point um, in terms of my belief in myself that I belonged in that um, echelon, I guess, of players because I'd been given a couple of wildcard opportunities, never had won a match at the Australian Open and then something just clicked that year. I'd done a great pre-season. I was feeling really fit and mentally in a really good space and Everything that happened at that Australian Open was so raw for me um, in terms of my experience of dealing with big courts, playing against, you know, number one player player in the world on Rod Laver Arena with 15,000 mm. people. But it, it worked in my favour then because I was so naive to how it, I was supposed to be and act or how it was supposed to feel. Um, so that was a lot to take in uh, at the time. I was just thrown into um, – and then people started obviously knowing who I was and there was that expectation then from then on grew because people mm. expected more of me and my my tennis change and my mindset towards my tennis change. But that 2008 was definitely the breakthrough year yeah. for me. I believe in that tournament too, you also surpassed uh, Alicia Mollick to become Australia's highest ranked player, which I guess carries uh, an extra element of pressure uh, f- for you everywhere you go with that title. Yeah, I always wanted to be the number one player in Australia because when you grow up in Perth, all I kind of felt was like the world was one thing, but the, yeah, the world was one thing, but Australia, I just thought Australia was kind of the be all end all in a Mm. lot of ways. So the number one ranking in Australia meant a lot to me. So once I got that, Sam Stowes was out injured at the time, but I took over that role as being the leader in the women's game in Australia. And yeah, that was that was a whole different piece to take on as well. Yeah. You played obviously all over the world, many different surfaces, had some great results uh, on clay. Um, a grand slam winner in the mixed doubles uh, on the Roland Garros clay uh, at the French Open. Um, your game though, growing up in Perth, I mean, often, you know, maybe not so much now, but a lot of grass courts here or pretty slick hard courts, uh, the slower surfaces don't always suit us so well. So how, how, how come you were able to adapt to the slower surfaces like clay so well? Yeah, it's quite ironic because a lot of us Australians have actually had our best results at the French Open and on clay. So we had um, obviously Ash Barty win Roland Garros in mm. 2019. Alicia Mollick, Sam Stowes, it's probably her, her best grand slam was the French Open. So I think... Um, I think we've all got the game style with our heavy forehands. But if you still ask me, I had a lot of success on clay, but if you ask me what my favourite surface to play on, what would it be? It would be grass. It would be natural <laughs> grass yeah. down at one of the beautiful clubs in Perth. I grew up um, through all of the junior development pathways, competition pathways in Perth playing on grass. And um, I'm very honoured now to now have the Casey Delacroix Cup, which is the junior state league um, competition in Perth because – it's something that I did growing up and made me the competitor that I was. So I'm really proud that I can put my name to something that means a lot and hopefully we can bring more West Australian tennis players through. But, um, yeah, though, you can't beat the, the grass courts in Perth. They're the best in the oh, world. Oh, they are amazing, aren't they? We're, yeah. not, we're not biased at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> we haven't got time to get through all of your career highlights and victories. I mentioned a couple of them already, um, you know, your – your French Open uh, Grand Slam title in the mixed doubles, uh, a seven-time women's doubles Grand Slam finalist, but uh, multiple singles tournaments, doubles tournaments you've won throughout your career. Um, What are the ones that stand out for you, though? I mean, uh, the ones that you're most proud of, which which would be the first and most prominent on the mantelpiece? Yeah, the first one's definitely that mixed doubles Grand Slam because – 
as you mentioned, I made a few finals in the women's doubles, but I never got over the line. Um, but definitely the the French Open mixed doubles final um, is probably my proudest moment. It was very unexpected. I played with a not a very well-known player and just um, I think – the thought of winning with someone just because we went out there, we worked hard, had a good time, and yeah, that I cherish that a lot. And then probably the four that the four finals that I made with Ash, um, having a having a mate, having a best friend to be out on court with another Australian, I have good memories of them um, as well. And then two at the the Olympics, the Olympic Games were always pretty special. Yeah, I, I had a great time at the Olympics too. So yeah, some fond memories in in every level, but those in particular. Forgive me, Casey. I'm trying to recall the name of your mixed doubles partner in, yeah. in 2011. No, that's okay. His name was Scott Lipsky, and he Scott was Lipsky. Yeah, yes. and he's an American, American. Played a lot of college, yeah. and yeah, we I mean, just teamed you, up. How do you how do you meet someone and then form this synergy that carries you through to a Grand Slam victory? Yeah, it was so um, unexpected. But yeah, we just text and we said we could both get in on our rankings, and we said, "How about we play?" And I said, "Yep, sure." And that's the thing that I love about sport is I. Oh, I mean, as an Australian, we love an underdog, don't we? And I mm. loved that Scott and I went into it. We got along well and we just had really great communication. And I, I love that win for that reason because we weren't expected to win. And that's what I love about sport, that yeah. um, when you least expect it, you can always have a win and you just really got to put your mind mind to what you want to achieve. And we were yeah. able to do that. So it was very rewarding. Yeah, I can imagine. Casey, we'll get through more of your uh, career highlights right after we take another break. This is Inspiring Stories. Casey Delacqua is our special guest. We'll be back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Should we bring Casey out? Is that what you're saying? She's got no choice. Get your butt out here, girl. No, I'm actually not loving this, Ash. And I'm like, it's all right. (laughs) I don't even know where to go with this interview, to be honest. (laughs) That was uh, Casey Delacqua with her good friend uh, and one-time doubles partner as well, Ash Barty, courtesy of the Nine Network, uh, that audio. Um, we were just talking before uh, we took the last break, Casey, about uh, you know the the synergy and the chemistry you need to be a, in a successful doubles partnership. You've obviously got a close bond uh, with Ash Barty, although that was probably one of your more awkward moments there. I think <laughs> you'll, you'll admit. Um, but tell me about your friendship with Ash, and tell me what it's like being part of a successful doubles combination. Obviously, you've got to be more than just good players in in your own right. There's got to be some magic as well, some complementary sort of relationship that you have, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When I um, so it started back when I was quite high up in the rankings, and a little old Ash, she was probably about thirteen at the time, texted me and said, "Hey, Casey, um, they're going to give me an opportunity to get a wild card into doubles. Do you think you'd like to play with me?" And so, <laughs> um, at the time, I thought, well, I could get in with someone with my own ranking, or I could play with a up and coming. And I'd heard a lot about how talented she was, so I took a, a I guess, a punt and played doubles with her in Brisbane that year, and we made the final, and it was. Really really, um, I guess, instantaneously for us, just a really special bond. And more more so um, as friends, if anything. The fact I was te- I'm obviously 10 years older than her and I'd been around for a long time and she was this up and coming, but we had a real connection. She loves her footy, loves her AFL. And in terms of our families and what we connected over was really special. And so I thought, oh, I really like playing with Ash. She's fun and 
gee, she's not afraid to move around the net and do all the things that are sometimes female tennis players aren't willing to do and they've played for years. Mm. So I knew she was pretty special as a tennis player and how grateful I am. I said yes at that time because we had um, a very successful doubles career together, so many great memories, and then also just those four Grand Slam finals, you know, as an all-Australian team to make every final, every slam. Like, it was it, it was pretty special. We obviously would have loved to have gotten over the line at a few, but um, all in all, very, very grateful for our friendship and partnership on the court. Yeah. Uh, and I, look, I, I know you're a very uh, upbeat and positive person, but I have to ask you, Casey, seven times you made it to a... <laughs> A Grand Slam doubles final. Couldn't quite get over the line. Um, no, thank you for reminding I, me I, that no, I'm a big feel, loser. <laughs> look, I feel like a really bad person for, no, that's okay. <laughs> for bringing that's that. I mean, okay. look, you know, us mere mortals will never, ever play Grand Slam tennis. So you're already uh, in the, the 1% of the one percenters. But, I mean, seven times, did it, did it become almost, did it feel like you were, I don't know, cursed in some ways after a well, while? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question too because I, I battled with it a lot when I was talking about retirement because it was yeah. like, it will, will there always be a bit of a question mark around my, my you know, my career? Like, And then at the end of the day, I thought about it and I thought, you know what, many people would love to make seven Grand Slam finals on exactly. any given day. But to be honest, it, it never defined me. It would have been lovely. It would have been nice. I think there was a couple of finals that we played that I kind of got to a point after making like the third one and the fourth one and the fifth one that it, it was like it was almost supposed to happen. But the moment then I changed my mindset the last few with like, well, no, they're not just given to you. I have to change my mindset and go out there and try and win them. And I felt better for those losses because I – I know in my heart we did everything we could to try and win one, mm. but sometimes you just lose on the day and that's just sport. But there was a couple where I was a bit disappointed and frustrated because I felt like someone should just hand me with them because I kept making finals and <laughs> life doesn't work like that. So, no. um, But, yeah, I'm really, really proud of my career. And as I said, it doesn't define who what I did or do. Like I'm just, yeah, I'm really proud of what I've been able to achieve. And um, But one would have been nice. <laughs> Yeah, indeed. You deserve it for getting to the, the final match on seven occasions, I reckon. Give you a oh, posthumous title. Yeah. Um, one of your biggest victories though, outside of Grand Slams was in Madrid. I mean, you talk about uh, teaming up with uh, people that you have, I suppose, things in common with or you enjoy playing with. Um, Ash Barty seems an obvious one, but how do you team up with someone like Yaroslava Shvedova? <laughs> um, and I hope I've pronounced that. You did very well, actually. Thank you. Yaroslava yeah. Shvedova. Shvedova. Um, Shvedova. She, um, so yeah, we teamed up. Um, again, I really got along with her. And yeah. I know it's a bit cliche, but I, I really liked playing with people that I liked mm. off the court, to be honest, because I battled on the court um, if I had to play with someone that I didn't really like. But um, yeah, Slava was, um, again, just a, a top doubles player and we teamed up and the communication was there right from the beginning. So we made the French Open and US Open final together and we um, won Madrid, which was probably my biggest title in terms of women dub women's doubles. Yep. I actually just caught up with her the other day and she's had she's had – she gave birth to twins a couple of years ago. So oh, wow. she's on her way back from giving birth. So it's funny how your life goes through different stages. And then I made a final with um, Francesca Schiavone as well back yep. at the French Open. So I made finals with multiple partners as well. So, but yeah, you just kind of team up. Francesca was an interesting one because she didn't really speak good English. So, um, she said with the name Delacqua, why don't you speak Italian? And I was like, well, <laughs> we're going to, yeah. And I was like, true. My, my dad never taught me, but we're going to have to work our way through. And she honestly could not speak a, 
like word of English. So we'd just be giving each other high fives, thumbs up, and that was a level of our. So yeah. to make a final was so you quite just had this understanding. Yeah. Yeah. So but yeah, multiple partners and all all different, but all fun to play with. Is it is it I suppose a normal thing you know for someone who's just recently, fairly recently retired, someone like you to still be good friends and in touch with your old. Doubles partners, like, you know, Scott Lipsky, who you won the mixed doubles French Open with, are you still in touch with him? Yeah, we connect. Um, I like, he's got a couple of kids and he's retired now as well. So I I keep in touch with a handful of people um, that I really, I guess, connected with whilst I was playing. I don't keep in touch with a lot of the players, but um, just a handful that I really um, got along with. And it's nice to have those friendships because you spend, I spent 20 years on tour and, you have so much in common and so much you spend so much time with them that it's nice to have that friendship post tennis as well. Yeah. Um growing up as well, you know, when you were sort of playing a lot of tennis, did you play a lot of doubles then? Did you did you love playing doubles as a kid? Because obviously that's where you had most of your success as a pro. Um when you went yes. pro as a teenager, did you think I think doubles is my is going to be my best shot? Yeah, so I played so many team sports growing up. And yeah. even in WA, we had um, tennis being an individual sport, but we played so many team competitions. Mm. And now working in the roles that I do, it's such a big thing for me to get girls playing with each other in team environments, in team competitions, getting them playing singles, doubles, and just wanting them to enjoy competing because – I, I was a terrible practicer. I didn't love being on the practice court. I just wanted to be out on court competing. And I would enter, I'd go to all the Easter tournaments in WA when, as a 13, 14, whether it would be Geraldton, Bridgetown. Bridge, Bridgetown? Mm-hmm. It's Bridgetown in WA, mm. isn't it? Oh, you've been um, away too long, Casey. No, I know. <laughs> you know what I was thinking about was that um, new show on Netflix, Bridgerton. Yeah, I'm no. Confused. <laughs> Definitely don't confuse the two. <laughs> no, they're worlds apart, aren't they? Yeah. You um, wanted to pass as some sort of WA facts test before you're allowed back in over yeah, the border, I, know. I think, Casey. Gosh, 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 gosh. <laughs> um, but no, Bridgetown, I played in uh, Geraldton, a um, few Easter tournaments, but I'd enter every event and every age group. So I'd play the 14s, the 16s, the 18s, and whatever I could play, I just want to play. So... It's a team, team has always been a big part of my life. And I had, I think, I don't mind, I had a great um, doubles career, obviously, but I guess, I guess I was defined quite a lot by my doubles career, but Mm. I'm really proud of the singles career I had as well. But I loved playing doubles so much more. Well, 26 in the world uh, as a singles player is, is phenomenal. Um, Yeah, it was good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Again, <laughs> you know, uh, not many people can say that they've uh, been to number 26 in the world, that's for sure. Um, but talking about the team events, I know I've, I've read comments from you before where you've said how much you loved being part of a Fed Cup squad and also playing in the Olympics. I suppose that uh, that goes with what you're saying then, being in that team environment. What's it like playing Fed Cup? And, and does that still go down as, as a highlight for you? A hundred percent. It was the one event now that I sit down and I come to um, tournaments that I sit down with my friends and we laugh about and we have fun at um, talking about. We, you know, after the tyres going out and having a few drinks and just being with your mates, those are the memories that kind of stick with you. Not when I was sitting in a room in the Middle East and trying to make my way onto it. Like I don't have good memory. I have memories of being with my friends and having good fun and that's what I had every time at Fed Cup. That's what I looked forward to, the two weeks of the year where you got to be with your team and then the Olympics. And then I played a bit of world team tennis over in America at times. And even as an individual, when I had um, my coach, my fitness trainer, 
and my psychologist, my manager, my parents, like that type of team as well was always so important to me. And mm. I, I wanted loyal people around that I could trust. And it's something even now post tennis that I, I always try and surround myself with a good team. Uh, as with uh, pretty much anyone in your position, Casey, a career is uh, is never uh, in a straight line. There are highs and lows and, and injuries to deal with. Um, you had, as anyone would, I suppose, at your elite level, uh, some injuries to contend with. You had a, a bit of a different one, though, didn't you, uh, in 2015 or so, uh, where you suffered a, a fairly nasty head injury. Just before I ask you about that, I'm just going to play a little bit of audio of some things that you said in a, in a podcast a, a couple of years ago. I was so desperate to win that I ran back and um, in the midst of trying to hit the ball, my racket swinging, um, I tripped over my feet, fell back and um, unfortunately couldn't get my hands down and before I knew it, my head um, flung back and uh, smashed the concrete or well, a hardcore is essentially um, just concrete. So, um, yeah, my head swung back and um, hit the floor. And then um, post that, uh, yeah, I don't really remember from, from the next 20 minutes of what happened. It's still very vague to me. How does it feel reflecting on that now? Have any more memories come back to you <laughs> since then? I should say uh, credits uh, to the uh, Queensland Brain Institute. Um, for that uh, production that they that, that we just heard uh, a snippet from then. Um, I suppose for the Queensland Brain Institute to want to talk to you, <laughs> Casey, you must have given your head a, a pretty decent whack. Yeah, look, I get even a bit emotional even hearing me talk about that moment because mm. I never played singles after that ever again. That was the last singles. Is that right? Play. Yeah, it was the end of my singles career. Um I did come back and play some doubles um, yeah. a couple of years later when Ash was on her way back. That's how that all happened. But in terms of my singles career, that was the end of it. That was the end. Yeah. So I don't still don't remember like 15 minutes of my life where I fell. I just remember waking up in the hospital in Beijing. It happened in China. Yep. And um, yeah, I remember waking up in the hospital and just yeah thinking a week I'll be fine because I had the WTA finals which is the biggest tournament on mm -hmm. the calendar to come and I thought I'll just go back to Sydney I'll have a week off and you know like I'll be right had I known what was coming yeah like obviously um I wouldn't have had that expectation that I was going to be able to compete at the WTA finals uh it was the it was the most I hate using the word traumatic because for people have been through so much more than I had but at the in that time it was really traumatic for me I went back home I couldn't leave my house I had I was in a dark room with no television no phone any type of light I was so sensitive to I was having daily um like checks where they would record like they would give me numbers or dates or things and I'd have to recall them and I couldn't do it and it was really scary because with every other injury I'd had it was like go and maybe you might need a bit of I don't know, a cortisone or you might need to do some rehab and you'll be fine. But this was, it was really causing me a lot of anxiety because mm. I couldn't control and it just needed time to recover and I was impatient and I didn't have a plan and I had to be patient and it was really frustrating. And then, yeah, I never um, played singles again. I didn't think that I would probably ever play again, to be honest. I was pretty adamant wow. that that was it. Um, I took protected ranking and eventually found my way back on the doubles tour. Wow, so it really was a defining moment mm, for you. Absolutely, um, yeah. Have you be, have you been able to watch any footage of it? I mean, it sounds like something that you did almost instinctively, and it just 
you just got yourself in a in a proper tangle and mm. uh, yeah, and I've then, got footage well, of it. You described it well yourself. Have you been able to watch the incident? Yeah, I have now. Yeah, I've got footage of it, and um, yeah, it kind of gives me shivers watching mm. it because. And then actually, just the other day, one of the WTA women came. That was there. The supervisors came up to me. And she said, "I'll never forget the sound of your head smashing oh, on God. that concrete." And I was like, "Well, thanks for the reminder." But um, yeah, it was it was it was very um, stressful. I had a lot of anxiety around my career, and like I said, I never played singles again. And it, I was just so fortunate that I played a sport where I felt the risk of having multiple concussions wasn't probably mm. going to happen. So I had to just get myself right. I had to deal with all the like kind of extra emotional stuff that came along with having that concussion. And then once I was right to go, I came back, but yeah, never played singles again, yeah. which I don't really, haven't really spoken a lot about because, um, you know, it brings up probably not great memories and, you know, not everyone finishes their career the way they want. And I just didn't want that to be the final yeah. chapter of my career. Yeah. Um, just before we get to another break, Casey, but and, and finishing on this uh, subject before we move back on to happier times, but <laughs> how long were you out for? I mean, as you say, tennis and head injuries don't necessarily uh, get you know well connected. It doesn't happen often, does it, in that game, concussions and head injuries. But um, for you, that was your reality um, back in, in 2015 after that incident in China. How, how long were you actually out for? Um, it was about two years. That's a, um, That's a long time away, isn't it? Yeah, so it was about two years and then 2017, that's when um, Ash had taken her break, um, her yep. kind of hiatus and she came down to Sydney. We were obviously always still chatting and she said to me, I'm going to have a go coming back. Can you have a hit with me? And I was like, oh, I don't really feel like I want to get back on the tennis court yet. But um, the stars aligned and I, I started to feel good on the court. So 2017, I got back on court and then started playing some more doubles with Ash got back to top 10 in the world with Ash very quickly and mm. um, finished finished my career top 10 in the world and um, have many happy memories. But, yeah, a couple of years out of the game after that injury. Extraordinary. Mm. We'll take a break, Casey, and after that we'll uh, explore some of your uh, time post-tennis uh, as well. Lots more to get through. Casey Delacqua is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories. Back with more soon. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest in this episode is uh, tennis star Casey Delacqua. Uh, Casey, we'll get to a few sort of rapid fire questions uh, at the very end, but let's talk about you calling it a day. Uh, from tennis altogether, um, a fairly abrupt end to your time as a singles player, as we just heard. Um, but giving it away uh, as a professional tennis player, did it feel like a natural ending to you? Was it just time to move into the next phase of your life? Yeah, it was. It was something that I had contemplated, obviously, with during the concussion time. But I was really proud of myself for being vulnerable enough to get back out on court. Um, mm. Had a fairy tale ending in the end with playing. I got back to world top 10 in doubles. I finished on my birthday in Canberra in Australia playing doubles with Ash and that was my final match. And everyone there knew that that was going to be my last match. So I had all my family fly over from Perth to kind of be there with me. And that was a really special moment. Um, it was based around most, uh, it was all based around the fact that we had two children at home. I wanted to be at home. I wanted to be a mum. Um, I also wanted to, we wanted to have more kids. So it was just kind of a natural progression that mm. family was priority and that's where I wanted to be. Yep. 
uh, and you've 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 um, been with your partner Amanda now uh, for some time. Um, I'm not even sure. Is coming out still the right phrase? Are we still using that <laughs> phrase? I'm never sure. Um, was that a big deal on a personal level for you to to, to come out and be public uh, about it your sexuality then? Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a big deal. Um, all of my family had always known. Yeah. Um, they were always so supportive. I'm so grateful for, mm. beyond grateful for beautiful family that have supported me in every way of my life. But I think it's different than coming out in the public, in the public eye with everyone kind of, um, you know, looking at your story. So yes, it was a big moment. But then when you have kids and, you know, as a parent, you're so proud of your family, you're so proud of your children. And that was important for me when Blake was born that, I took that path and stood up for, you know, to be my myself and what made me happy. And I'm, I'm really proud of myself that I did that. What's been harder, being a professional tennis player or being a mum <laughs> to little ones? Oh, my goodness. That it's not, I don't even have to think about being a mum. My goodness. <laughs> Especially, um, yeah, being a mum to three, yeah. seven, four and almost two now. And oh, it's, wow. cha- it's challenging, but <laughs> it's the most rewarding job in the world as yeah. being a parent. Yeah. And have they got uh, tennis rackets in their hands yet? Uh, that my eldest has definitely had a had a go at tennis, but he's a bit more drawn to um, footy, rugby league, cricket, soccer, a few yep. other sports at the moment. But um, if they want to play, I'll definitely certainly um, encourage and support them. But I don't I don't really fancy spending my weekends at the tennis court because <laughs> I've done that my whole life. But if they want to, I'll support them. <laughs> exactly, just be there and push them in the direction they want to go. Yeah, absolutely. All right, some some quick fire questions just to to finish up. Casey, um, I asked you earlier about your, your heroes growing up and you got sidetracked and started talking about Carlton footy players for some reason. <laughs> um, but do you have a favourite player, having you know been a pro and played against all these amazing people? Um, do you have a favourite player now? I have to say Ash, but um, yep. it, above Ash, um, just above Ash, is Serena Williams, definitely. One yep. of the greatest to have ever played our game. She is a phenomenon, yep. isn't she? Yeah. Your favourite tournament to play in? Wimbledon. Oh, yep. Australian Open slash Australian Open, of course. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, your least favourite place to play? Um, goodness me, probably somewhere in Europe. I'm trying to think of the hardest place. Somewhere in Europe, but not like France. Um, yeah, sorry. Mm. I'm blank there. Yep. Didn't Obviously pass. didn't have – yeah, pass. <laughs> <laughs> Any superstitions that you uh, carried into your playing days? No, um, I tried to not be too superstitious because um, it just added a, another level of anxiety to already a difficult sport, so no. Okay. Uh, your best shot? Backhand cross court. And and do you have a picture in mind of just like the time when you just, you know, you, you, you played that shot to the absolute best of your ability? Yeah, in that French Open mixed doubles final. I could not miss my backhand. And that whole tournament, my backhand, like players were just like, just do not hit it to Casey's backhand because I would use the lob. I was hitting it cross court. I could hit it short. Found that every part of the court. So, um, yeah, that, that match in particular, that whole tournament actually, my backhand was going well. <laughs> and what are you up to now? Just give us a quick snapshot of what, what life for Casey Delacqua is like now. Mostly um, being a mum, which I love. And then I am the t- uh, women and girls lead at Tennis New South Wales, heavily involved um, in the women and girls space uh, really trying to grow that next crop of players and then working in the media as well, which I find still very nerve-wracking, but getting used to it. <laughs> You're doing a, a fantastic job. Well, Casey, thank you so much uh, for sharing your story with us. We appreciate it. And we look forward to getting you back to WA uh, as soon as possible. We might even have to send you down to uh, reacquaint yourself with the beautiful town of Bridgetown as well. 
<laughs> thank you. Thanks so much <laughs> for having me. I can't wait. Not to be confused Bridgerton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Casey, thank you so much and uh, have a great year. Thank you so much. You've been listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little moments are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.